Hi, friend. Welcome to the Olive Branch Mom Podcast. My name is Bridget Adler, a Catholic mom of four turned religion teacher. Each week, you'll hear interviews, tips, and strategies to grow in faith and find peace in the chaos, while we extend the proverbial olive branch from one spiritual viewpoint to another. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump right into it. Hello. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. How did tennis go? Well, last day of tennis lessons for the week for Lexi, and then I have to go get Finn in 30 minutes. I need to leave. <laughs> and then yesterday I had two meetings, like in between, one in between tennis, one after tennis. It's been like a busy, busy week for sure. Busy? For the first week off of school. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Did you think it was going to be slower? Um, next week will be better. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny when you have like all the summer activities start and you're like, why did I decide this was a good idea? But then <laughs> they love they love tennis. So I mean, what can you do? <laughs> you can let them play tennis. Yeah. Well, we will be efficient with our time. Um, I know that we're sort of chugging along and we're, how many chapters do we have left actually? Oh, yeah. Let me see here. We've got... Let's see, 34 chapters, and we're on chapter 14 and 15. So 20 left. Well, I looked at um, some of the links you gave me to sort of get a sense of a little bit, because I think we're really getting into the depth. We're really getting into the heart of sort of like um, the mass, I feel. So it did help a little bit, but I'm interested. I think um, just go over sort of, is there like a theme you can sort of encapsulate these next three chapters? under that you sort of um you know any sort of theme that resonates with you here well what i wrote down is you know basically for this word of praise chapter i wrote down the roman missal because that is what all the prayers of the mass are in the roman missal and that is something that um every day when you go to mass there's going to be a slightly different things are going to be different but like the actual format is very is the same and that can be really tricky to wrap your mind around if you don't go to mass and you haven't participated because the links that I sent you, it, it seems very overwhelming, you know, Yeah, there's a lot to like read through all that. And you're like, okay, well, you don't have a point of reference for it, you know, cause it's, it seems like a lot, even as a Catholic, when you're trying to break down every little part. And then this chapter is a little extra tricky because it's, um, it's, it's got that pre-Vatican II kind of Latin, twist to it you know there's so some of these words are a lot I mean they're very similar to what we say now at mass but um slightly different slightly different and some of the the moments are a little different but in general there's this sense of ascension we are ascending into God's realm during these moments of mass and then I felt like the second chapter we worked on here the word of entreaty I wrote down trinity for this one because I felt like he did a really good job of talking about prayer in Christ. And in particular, on page 79, he says, the goal is the Father. Prayer is a seeking of his face. The way is Christ. The power is the Holy Spirit. This one sentence contains the whole law of liturgical prayer. And I thought this was really interesting because like last Sunday was Holy Trinity Sunday um, on the church calendar for the Catholic liturgical calendar. So, reflecting on what is the Trinity and how to explain that is really 
interesting too, because there's so many different symbols. There's like very classic basic symbols of it that I put on um, the Olive Branch Mom Instagram page. And, but it's an interesting concept to think about it like a three, you know, figures, indivisible, yet unique. The father is not the son. The son is not the father. Holy Spirit is neither. They're all unique beings wrapped into one God. And it's one of those mysteries of faith, like those mysteries that have deep meaning and we can only understand to a certain extent because we have our human brains. Yeah. Our our limited human brain. So why do you, do you think that was his intention in that chapter? And that's why you sort of put Trinity down. I'm not entirely sure. I just know that at this point of the mass, it's very Trinity focused that he's discussing. Um, And also the the Holy power, the Holy Spirit being this power, which we are accomplished using to accomplish this oneness with Christ and this movement towards the father that he talks about, which he kind of begins talking about when I was bringing up how he's talking about the sense of the heights of rising to the heights of God's presence in this part of the mass that he's talking about here on chapter 14. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, these are very (laughs) these are more intense chapters and especially very I would feel very foreign probably to you because of not having (laughs) the background that I have um, years of being in church (laughs) studying it on a different level like part of what I'm doing for my level three catechesis of the good shepherd training is that we're learning a couple of different works for these older kids to help them wrap their minds around what's happening at mass, the different parts of the mass, how it's broken up and how little parts can change depending upon the day. There's little prefaces that can change and be selected. Like if it's a funeral or if it's a wedding or if it's a certain holy day or things like that. Well, it's complicated. I mean, this is why churches have like people that have degrees in liturgy to arrange all this. But you can get, there's resources online. You can see the Roman Missal online, which is cool. And there's apps for it and all that too. Like for instance, my grandpa had a little leather prayer book that had everything that happened at mass on one side in English and the other in Latin. So he had that to like reference. Plus it was all filled with a bunch of different prayers, but people would bring that to mass with them. This little leather bound book is what he had, but people today still have their own copies of that, that they'll bring to mass or slight paperback so that they can read along. However, if you were the author, you would disagree about reading along, <laughs> right? Because these are words that are he had strong feelings. He had strong feelings about that. Talk yeah. about that a little bit. How it erodes your participation a little bit. Like you need to be hearing it and not. I mean, he's right. <laughs> I feel like when I'm, you know, it's, it's like, oh, now we stand and read, you know what I mean? And then it is hard to, even when, um, I mean, it doesn't have to be a church. Like even when you're at a meeting and you're like taking notes, are you really listening? Mm -mm. You know what I mean? Like you're not really listening. No. Um, however, when he does bring up, like, if you wanted to look it up ahead of time, you can prepare yourself and meditate on it. And so that you can extra fully enter into it when you're hearing it at mass. Now that's a different, you know, that's story. different. Yeah. That's oh, like that. you know, yeah. a plus plus plus, but I, yeah, I think that, um, and maybe I think it can get really overwhelming if it's not your tradition, but I always think about like, even if it's just a little bit of time for that, you're really preparing for that time and you're really giving it your full time. Like we, like he's talked about in the entire book 
and I routinely ignore this advice and pay for it. But like, it is true. Like, it really doesn't matter. It is the quality of your attention at all times, at all times. And I feel like that's what he's sort of browbeating us with again and again. And I think this is just another piece of it. But yeah, I did find that part really funny. I'm like, okay, so he doesn't like like the reading in church. Got it. Sometimes people fall into it because they have a hard time hearing as well. That can be an issue if you're like hearing impaired or starting to lose your hearing. I'm right there. You'll see that quite a bit. (laughs) Actually, I'm already a little bit there myself. So (laughs) yep have joined that club. Yes. So let me see what I wanted to say about that. I thought was really the best part. Not the, I mean, everything I feel like it could underline all the sentences and every one of these chapters, but there, there's a few things that I underline. Like for instance, on page 70, he was saying how the praise giver lives in this glory as in a special atmosphere in which he delights in praise. Man's prayer is farthest removed from the everyday world. Mm-hmm. What do you think yep, of that? Absolutely. And you cannot reach that point if you are still holding on in part of the world, right? Or enmeshed in those earthly thoughts. You really have to allow yourself to enter into this sort of separate state to really interact there. This is why I remember last week we were talking about like, well, like how do they prepare themselves and all this? And you're like, oh, there's like tons of things, like different rituals they do. And But I think what he's trying to get us to understand in this book is like, but these are rituals you do too, right? Because there's lots of instruction if you are like part of the clergy, but other than sort of coming in, sitting in, sitting down, like what, you know what I mean? Like the preparation is really, it's really up to you, I think is what he's sort of saying here to get the most out of this. That's what I take from it. Well, another way of looking at it that I thought was super interesting, he points on on page 72 or writes, Even in human relationships, the feeling exists, quote, I thank you, not for what you've done for me or for what you think of me, but for yourself, for existing. Here, love reaches a mysterious greatness. Actually, thanks for the existence of a loved one should be directed elsewhere to his parents or to God. Like for it's so translatable for this love man shaken by God's glory. Thanks him. Think about how, you know, you have a child and you just love them for the existing just for existing as they are. Most of the time, <laughs> sometimes yeah. you're, you know, your feelings ebb and flow of that. But like, I think that's very relatable to be like, I love you not for what you've done for me or what you think of me, but for yourself for existing. And that's like the essence yeah. of praising God for his glory, you know, cause that's, it's an interesting think, concept yeah. thinking about glory. It's not something we think about as much in everyday life anymore, like praising someone for their glory. Well, the essence of it is for their very existence and, their, and what that means. Love re- reaching a mysterious greatness. It's like, can we really, you know, understand the depths of love? No, because love is no. not another big mystery. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the other thing that I was thinking about when you were saying sort of like just for existing, I think the opposite is true, right? So it's like, I'm a little bit different. So it's like, I, my view is that like, we are part of the divine as well. And I think it's also like God's appreciation of us is also that we are just existing, right? That's to me, what I take from that as well is even though this and the mass is about, again, really praising the fact that God just exists and just being there and just existing is something that you are acknowledging and recognizing there. I also think the opposite is true. And I really think that this is something that the message that gets lost a lot. I think we think we need to do certain here things here, be really, really good here. And I think um, 
what we forget underlying all of that is that number one, it's already forgiven. Number two, like God is acknowledging you just for existing. That's it brings joy just that you're here, yeah. just that you're creation. Exactly. Exactly right. He can goes on on page 72 to talk about how the church is more than the sum of our believers. It's its own mighty organism. And then one might even venture to say that the joy they voice is not hers alone, the church alone, but is shared by God himself. You know, this is that same joy that we have is like, where did it come? It came from God, you know, the same love that we have, this yep. joy and elation that they're yep. talking about as these hymns of the churches. Then how the music is, they're basically talking a lot about music in this chapter as well, about how things that are sung, well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, you probably heard that phrase that singing is like twice praying. You heard that? <laughs> but i have not heard that singing is like never never not once singing is twice praying (laughs) i mean i i get it but i just never heard of it singing i think i know i didn't make that up (laughs) that's lovely i've never heard that yet but i'm happy now that i have well you know they're talking about channeling your enthusiasm into spiritual songs on page 73 from these spring the hymns of the church the joy and elation of the spirit which the father sends us in Christ's name breaks through and then returns back to the father. I seem to remember that he was a little critical of people who did not want to sing. Oh yeah. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that, like, Oh, I just don't sing at church. Bridget's Bridget, Bridget gets all judgy when that happens. Is that true? Well, I <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's nice if you sing, even if you don't think you sing well, the point is just to sing right? Because you're entering into it in a full, like a different way again, you know, than if you're just sitting there listening to everybody else sing. So you're, it's it's like requiring participation again. And part of that participation is good for us, but there's sometimes you'll be at a mass, like a daily mass or a Sunday mass or whatever congregation that won't have a cantor and they won't have anyone to play the music. So we just, just recite all the words and that can be really powerful too. Like a form of, form of singing, interaction. You yeah, know. saying the words in a different way than yeah. how you were normally singing them before, like that strikes you again in a different way and can make it more meaningful again. Or if you go to a different church where they have a different kind of way of singing. Yeah. And I think sort of going back, harkening back to the earlier chapters, the act of singing and the act of stillness when you're doing it right can be done in a way that you are divorced from time a little bit. Like you're, you're doing something you're singing. And if you allow yourself to really be in the moment, it's like all of a sudden time sort of stops and you reach that, you reach that cool moment, right? Where like, you're not thinking about what's for dinner or the guy next to you or who's coughing and you're in the flow. Right. And I think that participatory participatory moment is important to him in this book because he brings it up several times and all these areas that, you know, from our perspective, we're like, geez, like, He's not like the reading. He doesn't like the sing. He wants everyone to sing, but you can see the theme that's woven through all of it. It's all about participation, right? And not repeating and not everything must be absolutely committed, right? And intentional. And I hear him saying that again and again. So I think it applies generally in this chapter too. Well, when you move on to the next chapter, he calls out how a lot of these words of the mass they have a strict, he's like, in these prayers, we are struck by one thing. They're strict formality. They're terse and austere. The more so, the older they are. Here are no elaborate thoughts, no moving images, no emotional outpourings, nothing but a few clear, 
terse sentences. And then he calls those out and at the bottom of the page, he says, the tone seems at first foreign to us. Our prayers are usually wordier. There's more emotion in them and they are far more personal. But these are you know, words that have come down to us from a very, very early period of time. So they are concise. They are official sounding because of this roaming clarity and objectivity that he's calling out, make them seem almost cool and impersonal, perhaps even irreligious. But they're actually packed with the piety both powerful and profound. So I like how he's bringing in the history aspect of this because shockingly enough, a lot of what's happening at the mass is exactly what's happening like a hundred years after Jesus ascended into heaven. Like we're still saying and doing a lot of the same stuff. And so naturally it's going to seem a little weird and foreign, maybe some of these, the phraseology, some of the words, some of the gestures, things like that because we have changed in so many ways. And we're used to having a more emotional, more per, like how he says, more emotion, personal personality, more wordiness. I thought that was a very interesting thing to kind of think about when you're thinking about liturgy just in general and how it's been passed on from these early disciples all the way down to where we're at right now. Yeah. But how he also says, we, it's grasping the significance of the text that we're saying here. It says you can't do it without real effort they are the fruit of deep concentration an alert sense of reality unclouded mind things like that to like really grasp their full you know like complete simplicity which is like interesting stuff i mean this is like we're getting very deep into you know a lot of this the concepts that he's talking but i really liked how he also brought up on page 78 you know we have this moment where the priest says let us pray And there's like a moment of silence here. And during which the individual believer taking the mystery of the day as his theme prays for his own intention and for the intentions of the congregation. This is a moment to silently lift yourself up to God. He says, by studying what what this little phraseology is going to be beforehand, we can really bring into the fullness of our own intentions. When you're, he's like, let us pray. And there's like a big moment of silence as he's getting his Roman Missal page to the right thing. And he's going to say what he's going to say. Taking a moment to like have that moment of silence and thought and contemplation instead of just being like, okay, father, hurry up. Like, (laughs) or like adjusting your outfit or like fiddling with something, which he also talks about, you know, in the beginning of the book about how we want to fill those voids of tiny silence. with (laughs) We need to set and rest in these very silent moments. Yes, I agree. I think the your note about the liturgy is interesting. So of course I'm reading a book. It's about the, you know, it's a new history of the Middle Ages. And it, because of that goes into a lot of detail when it comes to sort of like the years after Christ and um, the Roman estate and how it took an interest in Christianity. It took a long time. Obviously the Christians were martyred and then took a long time, but then Rome finally got interested, right? And it became a state religion. It was just absolutely fascinating how much of our day-to-day existence is still governed. A lot of the law is ancient, you know what I mean? Like it comes from either Greek or Roman. It's just fascinating. And a lot of the liturgy, like you think it's so like, it happened so long ago, but it's, I found it interesting because the author used a quote, one of my favorite quotes before his, this tome is huge. It's a very large book. And it's essentially the, the phrase, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Which is from Ecclesiastes. But anyway, the reason I like it is because the whole point is he's like, the middle ages might seem like a long time away for you, but all the things that they dealt with 
pandemics, technology, nation state uh, is happening now, right? So his point is, again, and I love the first quote, there's nothing new in the sun. So that's why I think, again, ends adds validity to a lot of what he's saying about like, hey, these words might seem old and stayed to you. But again, there's nothing new under the sun. Use the words. You know what I mean? <laughs> Use the words. They're there for a reason you know, crafted piously for thousands of years. And um, yeah, it's again, it's going to be different because that time was different, but at the same time, people aren't all that different. So that's what I like about that. I think one of the big, you know, criticisms always, like, especially right now, the Catholic church is like, oh man, you need to change. You need to move with the times. You need to update. Why are we still doing all the same things on the same way? Like there can be that criticism. There's it's been there for like all of Christianity. They're like, we need to like, I think that's a big thing right now because a lot of Christian faiths, people that are in the workforce of being a minister in ministry, they're like, we need to get more people back. We've lost so many people. We need to get them back. How can we do that? And (laughs) well, the thing with the Catholic church is that it changes so, so slowly for a reason. (laughs) Because it's like, it's a classic, you know, it was built this way and it's, it's not going to suddenly change because it's been like this forever. But like the other thing is that it has a great stability because of that. It's not going to say, it's not going to jump in every trend, every little bad wagon. It's never going to do that. It's, it's I agree with you. This and long, I think the change, story. yeah, correct. And I think the change might come from, again, going back to this book, the change comes from your sense of consciousness. And how conscious you are and how able you are to interact with the reality and what's before you. The religions don't have to change at all. It's how you practice them. You know what I mean? And I think that's, that to me is a lot of what Jesus talks about with the new kingdom. I think it is not a place or a thing. I think it's a state of mind. And a lot of the change that can come, comes from you or me and everybody else. But it really comes from like being, being aware and being fully conscious. And I think that's part of, again, what he keeps telling us in these books is like, again, bringing us back to that one point, acknowledging that moment of silence before prayer, preparation before we interact, like all these little things are like little hints, it's like little bread crumbs, like leading to me, leading me sort of to that feeling of whenever we talk about any of these chapters, he's really woven it throughout, I think. Yeah, I know. I love, I love this book. And I love how he you know, always brings us back to being the meaning and the beauty behind things of, you know, parts of the mass or parts of your participation of the mass. It's like, well, why are we doing this? Well, here it is. Like, (laughs) (laughs) here you go. And I think it can be really, it's, it's very difficult to explain participating in church and liturgy to really young kids. So you have to break it down really simply and very large, simple themes and stuff, but to like dig into the parts of the mass like this, this is like something that most people aren't ready for until they're high schoolers. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? It's like, even yeah. still, it can be, it's like you have to like come in and with a, like a very fresh, unvarnished kind of open mind, I think, instead of like, oh, why are we saying this word? Like, don't, don't nitpick on the specific words. It's like the overall, where did they come from? And the why is like so well explained in this book too. It's just these moments that the way that we are trying to connect to God and feeling his presence. And he is also participating in these moments with us. I really liked how um, on page 80, 
He says, every point Christ is the vital room in which everything takes place and that and the way that is taken. His revelation is the truth that meets us wherever we look. His living, dying, and rising again is the power that lifts all things into newness. His living reality is a model for and the manner of holy existence, the essential to which we should surrender ourselves and which we should exist. The Holy Spirit is the power by which we are meant to accomplish both the oneness with Christ and the movement towards the Father. Mm, that's lovely. So he meets us wherever we look. Yep. <laughs> you're at. And that's another thing, too. I think it's such a great message people to know and again the whole point about existing like that's that's all of just all of what is required is just to look and see and find right like you said wherever you look it'll meet you there right but if that preparation is there that conscious effort is not there your fear is going to come flooding in and that will be you know what I mean you're going to feel really far from it Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of comfort in knowing that God is always there <laughs> me, you know, like yeah. the idea of like being unchanged and ever present, and he meets us wherever we look. Like we just need to be looking. You know, we have to be seeking. You yeah. know, he's always seeking us in return, but we're the ones that have to open the door. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like, what's the quote? God comes to you disguised as your life. Absolutely, and I, I think there is um. Definitely. I remember when I was in the evangelical faith, there's a, there is a strong sentiment or teaching path where they're like, well, if you don't feel God around, it's because he's testing you. That's what's happening. He's testing you. And I always really hated that when people yeah, that's, that. So like, that, that I cannot roll with that. No, I'm like, that's impossible. I can't feel my bra right now, but I know I'm I, wearing it. Okay. I know. <laughs> I'm like, what kind of God would do something like that? Not my God. You know what I mean? I'm just like, who, what are you talking? Oh yes. When you were a new believer, you felt God real strongly because he wanted to show himself to you. But then as you became established, like God wants to test you. And I'm like, this makes no sense to me. So I li- really love how in the book, he's really communicating this thought of like, you know, would the sky not be there? Would the earth not be there? Of course not. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that's, it is reality, the reality that is around us. And it's like, you cannot divorce the divine from these things because it's, it's all, you know, it's all there. It's all there for you. So yeah, that's something that again, like, I was just like, I cannot stand when people say that, but, but it is quite, it is a quite popular sort of like, I don't know what you would even call it, but like, sir, I've heard it as a sermon. I've heard it as sort of like in different books by very well-known, you know, very revered. But I think again, what they're probably discussing is this concept that we, that he is talking about in the book, which is, it is the life that is divorced from these things that begins to feel like it's far from God, but God is always there. It is, it is you that is divorced yourself. On the head right there, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Well, we do need to wrap it up. So yes. next week we'll do <laughs> chapter 16, the congregation and injustice rectified. Ooh, Ooh that's going to be a good one. And then congregation and the church. Okay, I'm ready for it. Well, you have a lovely week, holiday, Juneteenth coming up and weekend, and we will talk next week. All righty. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. I'll be back with another episode in one week. In the meantime, check out more content on olivebranchmom.com and follow me on Instagram at olivebranchmom. Check out my show notes for links to both. Thanks for listening. <laughs>